0: Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments You shall not misuse the name of the lord your god For the lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name Remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy Six days you shall labor and do all your work But the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god and on it. You shall not do any work "'Neither you, nor your son or daughter, "'nor your manservant or maidservant, "'nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. "'For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, "'the sea and all that is in them, "'but he rested on the seventh day. "'Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day "'and made it holy. "'Honor your father and your mother "'so that you may live long in the land "'the Lord your God is giving you. "'You shall not murder. "'You shall not commit adultery.' You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Deanne. Well, we come to the end today of our series of messages on the Ten Commandments. It's been uh, quite a long journey. Eleven weeks ago, I gave you the introductory uh, message on the verses prior to the Ten Commandments, and then week by week, since then, ten weeks in a row, we've been looking at each of the Ten Commandments. And I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as Matt and Seth and I have enjoyed preaching it. Um, I want to tell you that I had three goals for this series. The first of the three goals was to help us develop a new love for the law of God. After all, the law of God is good. David in Psalm 119 says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The law is good. It is God's love gift to his people. It is there to help us. It's there to protect us. It's there to help us be disciples and make disciples for him. And so I hope that you will keep studying the Ten Commandments, that this won't be the end of your journey to get closer to an understanding of these and what they imply and what they intend for us in your life. I hope that you'll memorize the Ten Commandments. I hope you'll teach them to your children. Many of you have already done that, and I I commend you for that. Please keep that kind of thing going. So that's the first purpose. The second goal for this study of the Ten Commandments has been to spur us to action. To spur us to action. The Ten Commandments reveal God's character to us. They reveal to us what God loves. They reveal to us what God hates. And they are there to spur us or stimulate us toward a holy life. John Calvin put it very vividly. He said that the law is to the flesh like a whip to a sleepy donkey. Only he didn't use the word donkey. a different word, but a whip to a sleepy donkey to arouse it to work. And so the law of God, the Ten Commandments, are there to stimulate and spur us and stir us up to obedience to God. The law is our guide to obedience. It tells us what God desires us to do and how God desires us to live. But the third goal for this series... I'm going to wait and share with you at the end of my message. So we'll come back to that later. For now, let's dive into the uh, the 10th commandment. I think it would be great if we started with prayer. Pray with me. Lord, we bow at your feet like Mary. We listen to your word today. We need a word from heaven. And so, Father, shine the light of the Holy Spirit, upon the pages of Scripture we're going to look at today and let them reveal Jesus to us, we pray, in His name. Amen. Commandment number 10. It's in verse 17 of Exodus 20. Let's look at that again. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or husband or girlfriend. Or boyfriend. You shall not covet his manservant or maidservant. His new Nissan Altima. His Lexus. Her hair. His hair. (laughs) Her clothing. You shall not covet their children. His 401k. His athletic ability. Their granite countertops. Their status. His position. Or anything, says the text, that belongs to your neighbor. That's why I can feel very free to expand the list and bring it up to contemporary times. Two things about this commandment not to covet I'd like us to leave here with. Number one... The sin of covetousness, what is it? And secondly, the solution to covetousness, what are we going to do about it? Okay, so let's dive in first to the sin of covetousness. What does it mean to covet? Well, take a couple of minutes and watch this video. It's going to help us learn the answer to that question. Hey, guys, I got you each a gift.
2: No way, Jesus, why?
1: Well, I just love you guys, so I wanted to get you something. (laughs) So nice. Laura, you first.
2: Wow, this is so exciting. Oh, will you look at this? A little eight-ounce can of Coke? This is perfect for me. I looked
1: everywhere to find a gift for you, and this just seemed to fit. I love it. Drew? <laughs> yeah. Your turn. All right.
2: <laughs> no way, Jesus. Seriously? Oh, yeah. 20 ounces of Coke? Yeah, baby. Woo! This is awesome. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. You're welcome. Laura, we got to go show Richard our gifts. Come on. Okay.
1: Hey, Laura. Is there a problem?
2: No. I mean, well... <laughs> Yeah, kind of. You know, it's just that every time you give people gifts, you always give everyone else more than you give me. What do you mean? Uh, I mean, like, I open my gift and, oh, cute, eight ounces, and then Drew opens his gift and, hello, 20 ounces.
1: Oh, I know what you mean. Well, that gift is for Drew. Uh,
2: Well, that's what I want. Uh, Go get it for me.
1: Okay, if that's what you want.
2: I got a liter. I know it's one liter of God's sweet goodness. Jesus gave it to me. He did? Yes. Okay. You know what? You're going to meet somebody with a bigger bottle, and you are going to be so mad. Laura,
1: check it out. I got an upgrade. Coke 3.0. That
2: is awesome. I know. Well, isn't that just great? Yeah. Hey, Jesus, you rock. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. What is wrong with you? Why are you holding back your best from me?
1: I gave you my best. Don't you see what's happening here? You're letting everyone else's gifts steal your joy.
2: Uh, No, Jesus, you are stealing my joy by giving everyone else more than you give me.
1: Laura, I picked this gift out for you. That's what I wanted you to see.
2: I don't care.
1: Until you can look past this, all you're going to see is a can of Coke. Good. What is covetousness? Covetousness is that inordinate desire for things that God in His wisdom has chosen not to give you. To covet means to have this insatiable craving for more. For something bigger, better, newer, nicer, prettier, smarter, cheaper, etc., To covet is to want something more than you already presently have. Something that you think will complete you. Something that you think will fill your cup. Something that you think will give you that sense of having finally arrived. To covet means to fill in the blank with something like, if I only had this, if I only experienced that, if I only went to this place or owned that or were like this, then everything else in my life would just sort of fall into place. Then I would be happy. You probably have heard what John D. Rockefeller said one time when he was asked, how much money will it take to make you happy? And his famous reply, just a little bit more. See, that's how covetousness works. You feel that you have arrived when you get something and then there is something else that you want and then it's got to be something else and then another thing and then another thing and then another thing. Coveting means an insatiable craving for that which God has not given you. It's a very subtle sin. It's subtle because it's very easy to hide. It's very easy to be going on with covetousness on the inside while covering it up with a nice spiritual smile on the outside. Some of the nicest people on the outside are literally consumed with covetousness on the inside. I think God, as I was thinking about this 10th commandment, I think God waited until the end of the list to pull out his big guns. I mean, in a way, and I'm stretching that to say this, but in a way, you could sort of go through commandments 1 through 9 And look at them strictly from a behavioral perspective. You know, if you go through the list of 1 through 9 and you say, "I'm, I'm not doing that or that's not my problem or I seem to be doing okay in this area and in that area because you're looking strictly at the outside behavior, you can't do that with number 10. You can't do that with the 10th commandment. It takes aim directly at your heart. In the 10th commandment, God is saying, I don't care how you dress it up. I don't care how well you clean the outside of the cup. Because what matters to me in this commandment, says God, is that you not desire things that other people have. What matters to me is that you not wince in your heart at the blessings of other people. What matters to me, says God in the 10th commandment, is that you not grumble in your heart when other people get ahead. You shall not crave things that I in my wisdom have chosen not to give you. Covetousness is rampant in our society. It fuels the consumerist culture that runs our economy. It's glamorized in TV commercials and everywhere else you look in popular culture, and it's at the heart of our addiction to work, to sex, to money, and a whole host of other things. And it's toxic. It's toxic to the soul. If you look through the Bible, you'll see many examples of people who coveted and who paid a dear price for it. A few examples, there was a man by the name of Achan, A-C-H-A-N, in the book of Joshua, who coveted the possessions of Jericho and he paid for it with his life and that of his family. Saul, Saul king of Israel, coveted the possessions of the Amalekites and forfeited the throne. David, you know the story of David, coveted Bathsheba And nothing was ever the same again in his life nor in the nation of Israel. Judas Iscariot coveted 30 pieces of silver and handed our Savior over to the Romans. Coveting is worse than jealousy. You know, we might substitute the word jealousy or envy for coveting, but actually coveting is far worse. Jealousy is saying, I want what you have. But coveting says... I want what you have, and I don't want you to have it. Coveting goes further. It's interpersonal. That's why in the 10th commandment, God purposely uses the word neighbor three times. Because the emphasis is not just on what's going on inside you, but what it's doing in your relationship with that other person. Three times. Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, And anything that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting says, I want what you've got and I resent you for the fact that you have it. And I don't. That's why the opposite of coveting is not just contentment. Now, contentment is a part of it, as you'll see in just a moment. But the opposite of coveting is love. Love for neighbor. Rejoicing in your neighbor's good. Rejoicing, celebrating your neighbor's blessedness. In fact, you see that in an interesting story in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. I'll tell you the story in my own words and I'll show you this verse on the screen. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus runs up against this rich young man. We call him the rich young ruler. And he is very enthusiastic. He comes up to Jesus and says, teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? And they have a little conversation. And then Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And the man says, well, which ones? In other words, which ones do I need to obey? And what Jesus is trying to do is string him along a little bit and show him his sin. But he says, which commandments should I obey? And Jesus gives him the second table of the law. Look at it up here on the screen. Jesus replied, do not murder That's the sixth commandment. Do not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. Do not steal. The eighth commandment. Do not give false testimony. The ninth commandment. Honor your father and mother. He goes back to the fifth commandment. And look at how he ends the list. He doesn't say do not covet. He says love your neighbor as yourself. Because the opposite of coveting is love. Love for your neighbor. The Westminster Larger Catechism is a old document that we Presbyterians love. And it brings this out. It says, what are the duties required in the Tenth Commandment? Look at the answer. The duties required in the Tenth Commandment are such a full contentment with our own condition. That's number one. But number two, such a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor. You see, that's what I'm talking about. As that all our inward motions and affections touching him tend unto and further all that good which is his. Now that's kind of a uh, an awkward for us way of saying it. But in my own words, I would put it very simply as saying that the opposite of coveting what your neighbor has is celebrating what your neighbor has. And so that takes the demand of this commandment up a notch or two higher then merely like what you got, you celebrate what your neighbor has. Now, let me correct a possible misunderstanding. Because when we talk about desires, it's very easy for Christians to suddenly take all of their desires and assume that they're all bad. And I want to correct that misunderstanding. It's not wrong to have desires. Desire in itself is not bad. There are good desires. There are many things that God has given to us in this world that we should desire and long for. It's good to desire, for example, that the people suffering the effects of Hurricane Sandy get relief from that. It's it's a good thing to desire that good men and women be elected this Tuesday in our national election. It's a good thing to desire uh, good clothes and good food. I mean, in the book of First Timothy, God even says that he gives us richly everything for our enjoyment. You who are married, you should desire, you should pant for and yearn for a much, much better marriage. You who are single should long for and desire sex within marriage. That's perfectly normal, perfectly good. We've been made that way. The desire for a nice home. The desire for the advance of the gospel. The desire that we be more conformed to the image of Christ. I mean, those are desires. And do you know what's good about desire is that desire is something that is part of the nature or the image of God that has been made, that has been implanted in us. And when we see our desires and feel our desires, they are pointers that we've been created for more than just this world. So I say all of that to just make sure you understand how good desire can be. We are not Buddhists. I've said this before. We are Christians. Buddhism teaches to deny all desires. They are bad. The more you deny them, the better off you are. Christianity teaches much, much differently from that. We are human beings with bodies and souls, human beings made to desire. That's one way that we reflect God to the world. So here's the dilemma that we're in. When does desire turn into covetousness? So you need to wrestle with that. When do your good desires become covetousness? Well, I've got a little illustration. Maybe this will help us a little bit. Suppose you invite my wife and me to your home for dinner. And so we come into your home, we look in your big living room, and we notice that there is this home entertainment system, this home theater to die for. 70-inch flat screen LED television, 3D, Blu-ray player. There are components I didn't even know existed. Surround sound, speakers everywhere. I mean, this looks like a regal... IMAX Cineplex right there in your living room. Okay, so I walk into this living room and behold this theater of yours and I desire it in the sense that I appreciate it. I look at it and I think, wow, this is really cool. Good job. But then a few seconds go by and something begins to change in my heart. Suddenly I feel inferior. I feel incomplete. My mouth starts to water. My mind starts whirring. My heart starts moving toward your home entertainment system. I say to myself, you know, I could get one of those and one of those and one of those. I could open up an account at Best Buy. We could knock that wall out, you know, that's between our kitchen and our living room and this would be a lot neater than those granite countertops my wife keeps bugging me about. You see what's happening? I'm nursing my desire. I'm listening to it, nursing it, turning it into a plan. But that's not all. Something else begins to happen in my heart. Something more sinister than merely those kinds of plans. I think to my self-righteous self. Besides, why does he have this? I bet he went into a lot of debt to get all these things. Doesn't he know there are hungry people over in other countries that have nothing like this? Uh, Besides, he can't appreciate good music like I can. I mean, I can think of all of these kind of things. What is that but a little bit of not only desire becoming a plan, but now the plan has become resentment? and even the seeds of bitterness and hate toward my neighbor. See at the beginning of that process simple desire was okay. I mean anybody would 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 say wow this is this is marvelous. But as soon as I start to nurse that desire And as soon as I think that what I desire will give me life and meaning and fulfillment and somehow complete me and make me happy, and as soon as I resent my neighbor for what he or she has, it's covetousness and it is wicked and it smells like hell. And according to Colossians 3-5, covetousness is idolatry, which means that I've come full circle now and I'm right back to breaking what? The first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. That home entertainment center, that bigger coke, that skinnier body, that hair, that house, that car, whatever it is, has now become my God, the source of life for me, the source of meaning. It somehow fills in the blank. It somehow completes me. Even if for a little while. It's become my God. So I hope that helps. Desire is good. But desire for the wrong things with the wrong intent is a violation of the 10th commandment. So much for the sin of covetousness to talk about the solution. The solution to covetousness. How do you fight it? Well, let's leave Exodus 20 and turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms for a moment. Psalm 34, it's found on page 550, if you're using one of those church Bibles, 550, Psalm 34. And while you're turning to Psalm 34, let me ask you to just dream about something for a moment. Imagine something with me while you're turning to that psalm. Imagine If you can, imagine being completely content, content with who you are and what you have. No matter how you look, no matter your age, no matter your marital status, no matter how much money you have in the bank account, you are completely and utterly satisfied. Imagine with me for a moment never being jealous, never at all being envious or covetous towards someone else, but actually rejoicing with that person in their prosperity or their honor or their reputation or their giftedness or their talent or their money or whatever it might happen to be. Imagine being so filled with love for your fellow man That you would sooner throw a party for them than have them throw a party for you. That's how content you are. That's how utterly happy you are with who you are and what you have and what the Lord has done for them. Is that possible? Is it possible to live that way? Yes, it is. Look at Psalm 34 and you'll see why. Psalm 34 beginning at verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him Lack nothing. Can it be that you can experience that? Can it be that Jesus Christ is so good, so wonderful, so utterly satisfying that all of your desires, your desire for security, for beauty, for value for love all of your desires for happiness and completeness are utterly and completely fulfilled in him is that possible is it possible that jesus and his love for you are far more glory is are far more glorious than you've ever discovered that the breadth and length and ha- height and depth of his love is far more life-changing and powerful than you've ever discovered. Is it possible that you would comprehend that love so well that you would stop craving that bigger bottle of Coke, stop craving that different body, stop craving that husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend that you don't now have, and that you would find joy in what other people have because you're so happy in Jesus? Is that possible? Yes, it is. It is possible. This is the life Jesus is inviting you to. Those who look to Him, says Psalm 34, are radiant. Those who fear Him lack no good thing. So what's the, what's your problem? The problem is that your desires are too weak. See, we often think that our, our desires are too strong. That's why I'm, I'm so unhappy. No, your desires are actually too weak. To borrow from what C.S. Lewis once wrote, you're content making mud pies in the slum when you've been offered a holiday at the sea. In other words, you're looking for life and love and beauty and pleasure in material things, in things that don't last, things that don't matter, when all the while Jesus is right there standing before you saying, friend, I am the river of life. I'm the bread of life, the light of the world. I offer you rest for your soul if you would but take it. You know what a covetous person is like? It's like someone who's trying to live on candy corn. Now, I love candy corn. Some of you know that if you're my Facebook friend. Do you know that last Tuesday was National Candy Corn Day? It was. (laughs) I love candy corn. It's good. But you know what? It's not that good. Given a choice, I would far rather... Go to Four Rivers and have a scrumptious, sumptuous dinner of barbecue. In the same way, many of us are content with things of this world that pass away when Jesus, who is infinitely more satisfying, is standing right there inviting you to a deeper relationship with Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who takes refuge in him. Remember at the beginning of the sermon I said there were three reasons I've been uh, preaching through the Ten Commandments. First reason was to get you to love the law more. Second reason was to spur us to action more. And the third reason is this, to drive you to Jesus. That's the purpose. That's one of the purposes of the law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, is to drive us to Jesus. It's to come to the end of ourselves and say, you know what? I am a covetous person. I do turn to material things. I do resent people. I do want what other people have. I'm unhappy. I'm discontent. Wretched man that I am, wretched woman that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thank the Lord through His Son, Jesus Christ, he has come to obey the law for me, to die for my disobedience, and to offer me a brand new life. You know, that's what Paul discovered. You know his story in Romans 7? He thought he was a pretty good person until he read the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. And he saw covetousness all over his heart. And he said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the purpose of the 10th commandment is to drive you back again and again, day by day to Jesus, the one who is infinitely satisfying. He is the four rivers of your life. Give up the candy corn <laughs> and embrace Him. So next time you have that covetous heart, say to Jesus, come, 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 Jesus, into my heart in a bigger way. I realize what this desire is pointing me to. It's pointing me to the cross where I can take my sin and leave it and where I can embrace and engage with you in a far deeper way because, Lord, all of these desires ultimately point to you. They're all telling me that I was created for more than this. I was created for God. And if you're a covetous person, and all of us are, Come to the table where Jesus says, come, eat and drink. My body, my blood are for you to invite you into a far richer, far more satisfying life with God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, freely uh, confess this morning our covetous spirits, how unhappy we are with the things you've chosen to give us, how discontented we are sometimes with The life you have assigned to us. The ministry, the job, the children, the parents, the house, the city, the cars, the health, the economic status. Lord, all of those things we are sometimes so discontented with. And we confess that as wickedness and sin. We confess it as unbelief. And pray now that as we come around the table, Lord, you will give us grace to leave with a satisfied heart because we're your children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.